So is there a food that reminds you of home, Kathy? Besides rice <laughs> the San Francisco treat. I was going to say sourdough bread. Is that something that San Francisco is known for? I do notice there's a lot of it here. Definitely. I think after rice it's number two on the list. Interesting. I didn't know that. San Francisco sourdough. For me, it is Ben and Jerry's ice cream. And very fittingly for our episode today, I actually have not just a general memory of it, but a very specific initial memory of Ben and Jerry's. Why don't you share? My first concert at the Flynn Theater in Burlington, Vermont, was in fact Beatlemania. My second concert was the Ramones. (laughs) So, you know, get some points back. After we went to Beatlemania, someone said, let's go try this new ice cream place. It was just across the village square. It was in this former gas station on a corner. And I am pretty certain that I had chocolate chip cookie dough ice cream. Can't guarantee that, but I do know that was the very first time it had been a Jerry's. That's quite a story. And I can confirm that you have consumed Ben and Jerry's ever since. Yes, not daily. But, uh, <laughs> let's not fool our listener, but quite frequently. Indeed. I'm Kathy Buckman. And I'm Mike Merrill. And this is Lasso Lessons. Coming up, season one, episode two of Ted Lasso, Biscuits. I uh, recapped the episode last time. You want to go this time? I'm happy to do it this time. Okay, so when we left Ted at the end of episode one, he was trying unsuccessfully to fall asleep. Episode two, titled Biscuits, opens with him waking up. We watch some comedic fish out of water moments. He pours a shredded wheat the size of a brick into a bowl for breakfast. Bird's nest is what I thought. And he's almost run over by a car speeding in an unanticipated direction. We also see Ted and Coach Beard walk through the quaint village of Richmond, passing by a busker and a young woman in a school uniform who demonstrates impressive footwork with a soccer ball. On first encounter, when you see these scenes, you might think, oh, these are just quaint local color notes. But in Ted Lasso, rarely is a gun placed on a mantle without it going off. Trust, dear viewer, that these characters will appear again in meaningful contexts. Yeah, Apple TV or Chekhov. (laughs) Once at the training facility, Ted tries to initiate a morning ritual, which he calls biscuits with the boss. He sees bringing biscuits to Rebecca in her office each morning as a way that he can start to reinforce their relationship. But despite enjoying the biscuits, Rebecca resists. Yeah, notice that biscuits here for American listeners, of course, are cookies. And he points that out and says, don't pour gravy on these biscuits. And she doesn't even smile. No, Uh, (laughs) his Americanness is not of humor note to her besides her scheming ways. No, it's not working on her. So now we turn our attention to the practice pitch. Jamie steals the ball from Sam and scores. And takes the opportunity to mock Sam. Ted on the sideline notes that Sam has dejected body language. Nate suggests that he may be homesick. Meanwhile, Rebecca and Higgins share a moment where they complain about Ted's relentless niceness. And Rebecca even mentions that he seems to be loved wherever he goes. This comes after they have rewatched the video of Ted dancing with his exultant team back in Kansas. 
The two start to hatch a scheme about how to muck it up. Back in the locker room, Ted promises the team that while he will not mess with how they play their matches, he will institute a suggestion box. He invites the team to raise issues that concern them, like the color of the towels or the vending machine snacks. Yeah, and Roy is very skeptical about spending any time worrying about such trivial things. Later, he opens the box to find that most of the suggestions just call him a wanker. He does, however, pocket a note which complains that the water pressure is too low in the showers. As in the pilot, there's a press conference at the heart of this episode. Ted handles the questions with charm, but a tabloid reporter poses uncomfortable questions to Rebecca about her husband's infidelity. Afterward, when Ted is checking in on Rebecca, he asks for her advice on how to deal with Jamie. Rebecca, sensing an opportunity, points him toward Keely, Jamie's girlfriend. When Ted visits her on the set of a modeling shoot, a hidden photographer takes what appear to be compromising pictures of them together. Flash forward to the day of the big game. The team presents Sam with gifts from home. Including the intriguing Chin Chin. He plays well, but the team loses badly. Ted nevertheless continues the party after the match with cake and dancing. Both Jamie and Roy reject this effort at team camaraderie. Jamie flees the building and Roy hits the showers, which, much to his surprise, have greatly improved water pressure. You know, it almost seemed to me like maybe there was a momentary relaxing of the shoulders by Roy. Did you see that? I. Yeah. I mean, hot water at a sufficient pressure has the tendency to do that to a person. Even to Roy, who normally stands ramrod straight, his whole body reflecting his rage. I think you're right. We're supposed to imagine that he's containing a great deal of anger by simply holding it in his body. His body seems to reflect momentary relief. And this is potentially a sign that Ted's focus on working from the bottom up may in fact be showing some results. As the episode concludes, we see Ted returning home and he takes a moment to scrimmage a bit with the young woman soccer player he had seen earlier. There she is. Yep, she's back. In the final scene, Rebecca and Higgins receive the pictures of Keely and Ted together, just as Rebecca on television sees news footage of her ex-husband's girlfriend. She tells Higgins to do it. Release the pictures. It is time. Maybe a good place to start is the title of this episode, Biscuits, and then all the physical things in it. I think of that opening scene where, again, this giant piece of shredded wheat pops into his bowl, and obviously it sets him off, right? Because he was expecting his shredded wheat. Instead, he got this strange thing. And it's a perfect compendium of the episode where the thing he thinks is going to remind him of home and comfort him actually is alienating and sets him off. What could be more comforting than pouring a bowl of cereal for yourself. And yet, if you're an American confronting unfamiliar shredded wheat, it just reinforces for you how far you are from home. Absolutely. We've talked a little bit about how Ted's whole presentation is casual and friendly and open. And I think this can often hide some of the stress and feelings underneath. We see his hands are shaking and he's playing with them. And Coach Beard notes this and says, hey, Relax, they're just kids. We get the sense that there is this underlying tension in Ted. It's not leaking out everything he does, but it is there. Yeah, and I think the whole arc of this episode is 
Ted trying things that don't work. Yeah. I think this is the episode that establishes Ted as somebody who the figure of the leader here is not having success. Mm -hmm. Except that he is setting the foundation. And I think this is crucial. And this is where I'd like to talk a little bit about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Maslow was a 20th century psychologist who spoke about this hierarchy of needs. On our previous episode, we talked about inverting the pyramid, both the book about soccer tactics and the organizational principle. Maslow had a pyramid and at the base were the physiological needs, air, water, food, shelter, sleep, clothing, and reproduction. And then there was the safety needs, including shelter and psychological safety too, belongingness and love needs, esteem needs, and finally self-actualization at the very top. Ted is trying to address the bottom of the pyramid, right? Roy completely rejects this notion that the colors of the towels, the tastiness of the snacks would matter. But Ted believes that you've got to solve those problems probably before you can do others. And in the end, of course, we see that Roy is impressed that Ted did get the shower fixed. We'll talk about that more too, because I think that's a way of establishing reliability. But let me lean in on this hierarchy of needs thing. I think this connects to all the focus on food, right? Literally by feeding people, providing Sam for his birthday with snacks that remind him of home and getting him a cake and bringing biscuits to Rebecca, who clearly enjoys them, that this is a way of increasing the feeling that these people have of being taken care of. Absolutely. There's the cereal that he starts with, then there's the biscuits for Rebecca, then there's the chin-chin for Sam, and then Mm -hmm. the cake for everyone, right? Yeah. Despite the fact that the team's not winning. He feels you can't solve the winning problems till you solve the most basic problems. Yep. Do you know what chin-chin is? I don't. It looked crunchy, but that's all I can really say. Not having Googled it, have you Googled it? What do we have here? You have just handed me a bag. It's a Ziploc bag of a snack. And it says at the top, irresistible, with an exclamation point. And then down below, it says chin-chin. Chin-chin. So let's try some chin-chin. Let's see what this is. So chin-chin is fried dough. In Nigeria, it's typically a sweet snack. In other parts of Africa, like Ghana, it's often a savory snack. Mm. So we're going we're to have a little chin-chin. All right. All right, here we go. What do you think? It's a biscuit. You're right. It's a biscuit. It's, it's a little tiny. It's very small. Yeah. But it almost looks like the biscuits that he gives Rebecca, except much smaller, like a tiny version. It's in the rectangular shape of a shortbread biscuit. Mm. But it, it almost has the taste of gingerbread. That's so interesting that it is the equivalent for Sam of what Ted brings Rebecca. Mm-hmm. I gotta take a little water. All right. Just as food plays this role of this very kind of base need, very important in this episode is dance. It's the second time we see the clip of Ted dancing with his team back in Kansas. And this is what convinces Rebecca and Higgins that they're going to have to work extra hard because it shows how much the team loves him. The origin of this dance, by the way, which we haven't discussed much, Jason Sudeikis is famous for doing this dance on the long running SNL sketch. What's up with that? Yes. He wears a red tracksuit. And a wig. 
<laughs> and I a strange, a strange wig. <laughs> and he essentially runs out onto the stage from the wings and does this dance, which I understand is called the running man with a grin on his face. And it adds sort of a surreal, joyous tone to the whole sketch. Yeah, it's, it's oddly charismatic. It should yes. not be something you want to watch. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and yet you cannot peel your eyes from it. So it's interesting that he adapted that for this because it is such an icon, a meme of solidarity. I think that's why humans dance because it's coordinated physical activity that we do right. together and it creates bonds and it makes us feel like we're engaged in a common undertaking. He dances. He also walks into her office and Rebecca says, you can't just waltz in here. And he said, what about the two-step with moonwalk? So he uses dance as a way of also deflating contentious situations. And it's not surprising that even in times of trouble, even when they lose the game, he wants to eat cake and dance and party. I did read it, an interview with Jason Sudeikis asking him about that dance. And yeah. oh, okay. the story he tells is that he was on his high school basketball team and it was something that he taught himself to do as a way to just have something to bond with the other players over. So it was actually a sports related birth to this dance. That's how he tells the story. Yeah. That's amazing. And it makes sense. His comedy has a very physical tone. It's hard to imagine Ted Lasso without a certain friendly schlumpiness. And yeah. it's certainly hard to imagine Roy Cook without seeing a pillar of rage. I think that's right. I think body language matters a lot. And just like Sam being dejected mm, and, Ted, and yeah. Ted being joyous, people show what's going on inside by how they hold their bodies outside. Let's talk about the trust equation. The thing that I felt really jumped out to me in this episode about what Ted is up to here is he's trying to build trust. I think if you're a new leader, establishing trust is foundational to how well, you're going to be able to operate in your new environment. Humans don't coordinate their activity and have success together very well if they don't feel a lot of trust. And so trust is viewed as essentially the foundation for all team performance. Yeah, I can see that. But what is trust? If you say, I want people to trust me more, how do you go about it? What, what are the things that create trust? There is a really smart answer to that question. There is a book called The Trusted Advisor. And in that book, David Meister has offered a really helpful way of breaking down what results in more trust or less trust. And he calls it the trust equation. You can almost picture it like an equation on a blackboard. You can increase trust if you demonstrate credibility, enhance reliability, and increase intimacy. Okay, so to be super simple here, credibility plus reliability plus intimacy equals trust. And therefore, if you increase any of these or all of these inputs, you'll increase the output, which is trust. So what do these terms mean? Credibility is essentially the expertise that you bring. People will trust you more if they feel like there's something tangible that you bring in terms of a skill and ability or a body of knowledge. Okay, that's the first input, credibility. What about the second one, reliability? Reliability is really just follow through. Can people believe that you're going to do the thing that you say you're gonna do? You're gonna show up on time, you're gonna make the contribution that people are relying on you to make. 
Great. So we got credibility. We got reliability. That's two is one more. And then finally, intimacy. It's sort of a strange word to talk about at work, but the extent to which people feel intimate with each other at work actually does matter. And we're defining intimacy here just in a very general sense of to what extent do people feel like they know each other? How well do you feel like you know somebody as a person? And part of that getting to know someone involves learning their backstory, finding out what they like, what they don't like. By increasing these things, the theory would say, Ted can increase the trust that this group of new people will have in him. It seems pretty clear, right? Let's think this through, Mike. How do you rate Ted on credibility? Well, he doesn't have much, right? He says, I don't know much about this game. So in terms of credibility is largely based upon competence in the particular domain that you're working in, zero. So close to zero. (laughs) Now, you could make a case that credibility also is involved with leadership, right? Is he a credible leader? That's a different question. But certainly credibility in terms of domain level competence is uh, a bit lacking in Ted. And he knows it. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I think you're right. I think what people are judging him on right now is his ability to demonstrate how you win at soccer or football. And he doesn't have a track record there at all. So he's got a zero. Right. There's complete mismatch there, right? Everybody, Rebecca, the press, the people at the pub, they all believe the most important thing is that you know your football. Mm -hmm. And he has no credibility with them. Yep, exactly. Okay, strike one, right? Credibility is not going to be how Ted is going to build trust here. What about reliability? How could Ted work on establishing reliability? Of course, he's going to have to work on it. It's not something you can show off the bat the way you could with credibility. You have to build that over time. Yeah. And I would argue this is where the suggestion box comes in. So we already know that Ted is an inclusive leader. And what's inclusive leadership? Inclusive leadership is a style of leadership where you demonstrate that you are open to the influence of others. And you view leadership as a collective enterprise where you want everyone to feel welcome to share their perspective, included in the problem solving, so that you're creating almost more of a culture. And the suggestion box is really a tangible way of showing that. I want your ideas. The the members of this team don't take the suggestion box terribly seriously, but he does get one pain point, and that is the water pressure. And when he actually has the water pressure fixed, they are pleasantly surprised. Another place where I might see reliability is his desire to create a daily ritual of morning biscuits. He says, how are we going to be partners if we don't have something like this? How am I going to show you I'm reliable? And he makes jokes about it too. She says, I bet you're going to come back with biscuits, even if I say no. And he says, oh, don't bet on it unless you want to win a buttload of money. He jokes around it, his direct slash indirect way uh, of saying, yeah, I'm going to be back tomorrow with more biscuits because I'm going to show you how reliable I am. I think that's exactly right. And I also think that biscuits with the boss is a great example of the final element here, which we're calling intimacy. I think fundamentally that's what Biscuits with the Boss is all about. Ted wants time with Rebecca, and he knows that when people spend time together just talking about whatever, they will get to know each other better, and intimacy will 
increase. So for instance, one of the questions that he asks her is first concert, best concert. How does this connect to the business and operations of running a football club? It doesn't, right? The reason that he's interested in her answer to that question is because he wants to create a human bond. He wants to increase their intimacy. Absolutely. And her answer is Spice Girls. Yeah, his answer is the Beastie Boys, which is probably up there in one of my very best concerts too, at approximately the same time, although in Los Angeles. It's a very telling question, actually. It seems really silly, but it tells you how old somebody is. It tells you a little bit about their taste and their adventurousness. I know I'm taking this too seriously now, but it's really not a bad way to get to know somebody. Even she goes for it. She immediately pops out, despite resisting Ted in a lot of other ways. On this particular question, she immediately responds. For me, it's the police. Uh-huh. First concert and best concert, I think I have to say Elvis Costello. That was a pretty good one. Our son is named Declan for a reason. Yeah, exactly. So there's one more piece to the trust equation uh-huh. that I didn't mention yet. If you want to build trust, you want to maximize credibility, reliability, and intimacy. But there's a way that you can totally undercut trust. And that's by showing self-orientation. In the book, The Trusted Advisor, it's written as an equation, credibility plus reliability plus intimacy, and then a line drawn, and then underneath them, almost as if it's divided by, you get self-orientation. So the extent to which people appear to be oriented only around their own needs, only around what's best for them, that reduces trust. Let's think about the self-oriented people in Ted Lasso. I would nominate Rebecca. Of course, in that category, she's oriented entirely around this revenge plot that she is running and doesn't really care about the other people that will be collateral damage. Who else appears to be pretty self-oriented? Jamie. Yeah, I think so. It's very interesting because both Roy and Jamie reject the party afterwards, but they do so from very different vantage points. Roy does not flee the scene. Roy goes and takes a shower. He believes that the approach that Ted's taking isn't effective. It's not selfishness. It's lack of efficacy, he thinks he's seeing. Jamie leaves because he's selfish. He wants to go into the parking lot and complain to Trent Krim about how the team is letting him down. Mm -hmm. He says, we're a band and I'm Mick Jagger and Roy is Keith Richards and everyone's just impressed that he's still alive. Yes, exactly. I think that metaphor is really important because when Jamie says we're a band, Ted's Ears prick up, right? Yeah, Because absolutely. I think mm-hmm. what he wants to hear is we all have an instrument to play and we all have a role and the sum is bigger than the parts. But no, that's not what Jamie is trying to say. Jamie is trying to say, I'm the front man. I'm the one that all the attention is on. I'm the one who matters. But it's an unintentionally revealing example he gives because people love Keith, at least amongst anyone I know. It's Keith Richards who people think of as the heart of the Rolling Stones the Mm. wasted, dilapidated heart of the Rolling Stones, (laughs) whereas Mick comes off as being much more self-oriented and much more a showboat. Very early in episode one, Rebecca asks Higgins, who do the other players follow? And Higgins doesn't know the answer, which is really revealing. Neither one of them know who the leader of the team is. Well, there's two of them, as we're going to see. Also, Ted and Coach Beard ask the same question. And Ted identifies Roy as his target. He'll talk to Jamie, but he's not going to place all his hopes on Jamie. He says, the first domino's got to fall right there in that man's heart, pointing to Roy. It's Roy 
whose heart is going to have to change if Ted wants to affect a transition in this team. Leaders can't do it alone. Inclusivity. Indeed. Next time on Lots of Lessons, we have season one, episode three, Trent Krim, The Independent, in which Rebecca continues her scheming ways and Ted gives the gift of books. Get really close to the mic. Hello. There we go. So I want you guys to try that. Where are they? The chin chin. It's like, it's a snack. It's good. It's good. You like it? Smash food from that Kind of like gingerbread almost. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Pretty good. Pretty good. They're good. Smashing like them. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Is that like an ad sponsor?